I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. ES Audio. Lawrence, hi. It's Will McPherson here from the Evening Standard. Hello, Will. What's up? Well, I'm writing a feature about great rugby teams. And as you played in more than a couple, I'm thinking the Premiership winning Wasp team of 96 and, of course, England in 2003, to name just two. I thought I'd ask you what it takes to produce a truly great team. Well, my friend, it takes skill. Right. And it takes dedication. You've got to be focused and committed right to the end game. Yeah, putting in the hours. Precisely. And it takes time. As it happens, Will, these are the same things it takes to brew an outstanding amber ale like London Pride, sponsor of this very podcast. And more importantly, one of my favourite beers. I guess it also takes support, especially from the fans. The way they get behind their teams drives those extra yards. I couldn't agree more, and Fuller's London Pride are showing their support as the official beer partner for Premiership Rugby. Awesome. You've been a great help, mate. Thank you. And you've also made me strangely thirsty. Lawrence Delalio's Rugby Podcast, supported by Fuller's London Pride, the official beer of Premiership Rugby. Support with pride, and remember to drink responsibly. Hello, I'm Lawrence Delalio. Welcome to my brand new rugby podcast where my guests and I will be discussing all the action from the weekend. Now, joining me are three stellar guests. First up is the Evening Standard sports correspondent, Will McPherson. Also, I'm delighted to welcome former international and all-round rugby legend for Wales, the British Lions, Lynneth Lee, Wigan, you name it, he's done it. It is, of course, Scott Quinnell. And last, but by no means least, is the presenter of the Leicester Tigers podcast, Adam Whitty. I'm going to start with Scott because uh, him and I woke up with sore heads yesterday morning and uh, probably feeling a little bit miserable. I turned on the TV, Scott, and Wales were 25 nil down with 15 minutes to go. And I thought my life couldn't get any worse. And then I watched England lose to Scotland. Yeah, it's been a, a, a tough old weekend for uh, for a couple of us. Fantastic weekend for England, Scotland and France. I th- don't think I got as much of a headache than I would have if it wasn't Ireland away. Because it's a tough place to go. We know it's a tough place to go. Well, uh, I'm assuming, although you cover all sports for the evening standard, I'm assuming they let you get up to uh, Scotland and, and cover England. And I'm beginning to think you're the bad luck omen because you've been in Australia for two months following the Ashes and now you come back to Murrayfield and England lose again. Yeah, I was at wet and windy Murrayfield. Had a lovely weekend despite the weather uh, and the result, but it was, yeah, it was a good game and, and lovely to be back at a heaving Six Nations stadium again after so long. Well, can, can I just say I've got two tickets for you for England v Wales. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be there too. I'll be there too. <laughs> Adam, it's great to have you on the show. Normally when I invite anyone from Leicester. I, I very rarely get a reply. <laughs> Listen, we're going to hear about your official Leicester podcast 
shortly. But just give us an idea. I mean, clearly it's been an amazing season for, for the Tigers, but presumably you were able to turn that off and, and watch some uh, international big boys rugby, were you? Yeah, I did. I was able to. It was a very busy sporting weekend, like we like cover all sports too. The football we won't mention from a Leicester perspective. The rugby was much, much better. But it was. So, I think that was the thing for me. What stood out the the full crowds, you know, because the Six Nations is a cultural experience as much as a yeah, as much as a sporting one too. We'll dive down a bit deeper into the rugby chat, but Scott, I was looking through all the things you've achieved in in your rugby career, and it's been phenomenal, really. Fifty two caps for. For Wales, probably would have been a stack load more if you hadn't driven up north and got kidnapped in Wigan. You played 25 of those games in the Six Nations, so no one's better place to talk about this tournament than you are, scoring seven tries. But just want to take you back probably to the early 90s when I played against you for the first time, or first time I saw you. I never got anywhere close to you, but I definitely saw you on the same field. It was England under-19s against Wales. I was playing number eight, you were playing Number eight, I didn't touch the ball. You scored four tries. <laughs> I think you won by about uh, 40 points. And I remember going into the bar afterwards and seeing you in, you know, the size of you. You were, you were a man at the age of 18. There's no doubt about it. And, you're, and your father was even bigger um, and your mum were there. And I said to my mum, who travelled all the way out, I said, mum, can you go and speak to a Miss, Mr. and Mrs. Quinnell and ask them what are they feeding their son? Because whatever they're, whatever they're giving him, I need some of that because I was... I was tiny, but uh, I'm, I'm assuming you remember that game. And, and I guess the question really was, you know, given your, your, your father's uh, sporting pedigree and your family's background, do you think you were always destined to, to play rugby at the highest level? Uh, I think so, Lol. When, when we have a look at it. Yeah, that was a good time. Filed. My mother and father weren't actually going to come to the game. It was one of those. It was funny because it, it, in the week, they, they said, oh, look, it's a long way to come. And then all of a sudden then, on the Saturday morning, I had a text or a phone call, sort of say, we're coming up. I said, well, why? Oh, no, we're coming up. We're coming up. I said, all right. And then after the game, I was lucky enough to score the four tries. Uh, I dropped one over the line, if you remember. I dro- actually dropped the ball over that. I-, I-, I don't know how, I don't know why. I was actually over the line. The ball sort of came up my hand. And my mother said, the only reason we come up, she said, is because a spiritualist came up to me in the week and she said, Scott's going to have a good game on the weekend. He's going to score four tries. And my mother said, what? She said, he's going to score four tries. She said, are they going to win? And they're going to win. Right, we go up, my parents said. So I blame the fortune teller, right? Because <laughs> if the fortune teller hadn't foreseen I'd only score four tries, I would not have dropped that one over the line. So I, I blame them. Listen, we, we're going to get into the... Uh, we're going to have a little deep dive into the rugby. I'll be honest with you, I didn't expect Wales to win, but I thought that they might be a bit closer. I mean... You won the championship last year, probably because people underestimated you. You had a lot of very experienced, good players. And you had a wee bit of luck, if I'm honest. But what was the expectation going into the game? And what's the feeling in Wales, having been pretty much well and truly thumped, really? It's one of those games where Ireland away, always going to be tough. You know, their game against New Zealand was absolutely outstanding. We know their building. They've got the type of players that can, can play rugby. You know, we've lost a lot of players through injury with like Salomon Jones, Ken Owen. But the one thing, the players have to step up. Like Tane Basham. I thought Tane Basham was outstanding on the weekend. He carried his form through from the autumn. You know, he was one of the guys that really stood up and, and, and went forward uh, at them. But we need more discipline. You know, we can't give that many penalties away. When we've got the ball, we need, we need to be more creative with it. You know, you, you have a look at some of those plays that Ireland played behind with Johnny Sexton. You know, they, they went left and all of a sudden it was coming back right. 
And when it goes back right, nobody can switch off. They didn't uh, and weren't competitive enough at the breakdown. Uh, their line speed to shut those plays down wasn't quite good enough. And I thought Johnny Sexton's kicking game was absolutely outstanding. Yeah, here, here. And I think what they probably need, it's always tough when you play your first game away from home in, in the championship because you're going to be up against it from the start. But I do feel with all the injuries, what they really need, Wales, is to get back to the Principality Stadium and get the 85, what is it, 90,000 fans who will get right behind them. And, and I think that will hopefully lift them in the way that that obviously they weren't able to be lifted in Dublin. Will, I'm going to come to you for the game that you and I were both at, the Calcutta Cup match. I mean, it's getting a bit of a familiar pattern for for England fans. Uh, they lost the opening game last season to Scotland and finished fifth in the championship, the, the worst Six Nations uh, title in, um, in, in, I think, 16 years. I, I just want to talk to you about your, your, your initial thoughts on the game. South Africa, when England beat them with that Marcus Smith kick, there was a sense that we probably won a game that we should have lost. And statistically, as well as Scotland played, and I congratulate them, I think England will have left Murrayfield very frustrated that they didn't take anything away from that game. Yeah, I think England were in total control of that game after sort of an hour. Then they took Marcus Smith off, which felt like a strange kind of, it felt a bit premeditated to me at the time. And, and it, it didn't work. George Ford's obviously an exceptional player with so much experience, but it did feel a little bit premeditated to me. They then made a series of strange decisions, both on and off the field. Obviously, Cowan Dickey had his yellow card, which was extremely costly. Penalty try. Finn Russell cleverly pushed from round the field and they failed to have a hooker on the field when they had a line out on their own line. And from that, Scotland took the lead and they never relinquished it. So I think England's leadership, both from a Eddie Jones coaching point of view, but also on field. It's come under fire since the game. And I think their own their own worst enemies in that final quarter. It was frustrating to watch. Decision making has been an issue for a long time and it reared its head again. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, my view, I mean, Eddie Jones has got this kind of, he's still got the best win ratio of any England coach. And in fact, probably two of the very best performances under him. You kind of think, right, we're, we're there now. And then, you know, we've had a championship where we finished fifth. And then they've um, they've delivered that as their opening performance. And I just feel a little bit frustrated as an England fan because I think he's got a couple of major problems. And, and I think one of them is trusting players and the other one is having a consistency in terms of the game plan. You look at Ireland, you look at France, it, things in rugby don't happen overnight. You know, you can learn defence quite quickly. You can learn set piece and, and work at it really hard and improve and get better. But the attacking game takes a bit of time. And it takes consistency. And if you're constantly changing the players and constantly changing your game plan, uh, you know, I think the players end up quite confused. And, and that's where I kind of feel that England are at the moment. And don't think we've moved on significantly since the World Cup, where other teams, you know, I think have. Scotland look a much better prospect than they were two years ago, as do um, Ireland. Uh, they've really developed under Andy Farrell. I think France are took the brutal option of culling anyone over 30 and, you know, it appears to be working. And, uh, you know, Wales, you know, are in the, the situation they're in for different reasons. Adam, um, I'm going to come to you and apologies. Um, I guess I've given you the short straw for turning up last on the pod, really. <laughs> Only fair enough. France being the favourites, Eddie Jones put a bit of pressure on them saying it's about time they won. And I don't agree with everything he, he, he says, but I, but I kind of feel that this is France's year. They, they've got a magnificent squad. The fixtures are kind of stacked in their favour this year in the Championship. And you feel that they blew it last year against Wales. No disrespect to Wales. I think they blew it the year before against Scotland by the prop, Howass getting himself sent off. So 
Do you think the French public, given they beat the All Blacks, are expecting uh, a title this year? I certainly would do if I was uh, if I was a Frenchman or a Frenchwoman. By the way that they have played, I think they've got for the neutral. They have that fantastic mix of quality and excitement too. They play such an exciting brand of rugby. I love the way that they play. But I think you saw in that uh, in that performance against Italy, uh, and of course there's always the slight caveat when they're playing Italy that they've lost, what is it, 33 in a row now, um, Six Nations matches. But I thought they showed a great intensity. They showed the muscle, the nasty, gnarly stuff as well as part of that performance. Uh, the likes of Cameron Wokey I thought were fantastic too. I think what would slightly worry me if I was a French supporter would be the opening 20-30 minutes where even though I thought Italy were relatively solid the way that they collapsed later on in the game suggested to me that France probably weren't up to it in the early stages but if if they if they get the bad form out of the way in the opening 20-30 minutes of the tournament against the worst team and comprehensively beat them after that then I think they'll be pretty happy. We're going to touch and dig in a bit more detail later on but I want you all to you know pick your outstanding player across the three games over the weekend. Outstanding with Fuller's London Pride. Now, I'm assuming that that's going to be from the winning team, but you never know. Uh, there were some uh, some real standout performances. Scott, if I start with you, you know who was the guy that really stood out for you? There was a few that stood out, in fairness. I thought Villiers uh, you know, scored three tries. I thought he was into everything. You know, he was hitting racks, he was hitting malls. Uh, he was making his uh, tackles, he was, he was standing... You know, he really showed up, but I thought he was absolutely superb. Uh, played with a smile on his face. Uh, the other one, Mark Hansen, you know, uh, coming over from Australia, straight in the corner, all of a sudden, fit in the, in, in the Irish team. I'm, I'm going to go for Hansen. Uh, Will? I'm also going to choose a wing. It's not someone I expected to be choosing, actually. I didn't think uh, Scotland-England in the wet was the kind of game that Darcy Graham would have a, have a huge say in, but he was absolutely sensational. He... He was dangerous with ball in hand. Uh, he was he was round the park. He was everywhere. He was waiting under the ball when when Luke Cowan Dickey slapped it forward. So he would have got a try. Didn't end up on the score sheet. So yeah, mine's Darcy Graham. He's outstanding. And I think for me, as I was at that game, I'm going to go with Finn Russell. Um, I thought he was superb. I've always doubted Finn Russell's ability. I mean, he's an absolute genie of a player. No doubt about that. He's got the skills. But at international level, sometimes it's about playing the percentages. It's about doing the same things you know, very, very well. And I just saw his game management. You know, he was desperate to get Scotland moving. He was desperate to, you know, get that back line in the game. But he saw the conditions. He didn't stick to the script, but he, but he played the game superbly well. And the two bits of skill, ultimately, that won Scotland the game, the, the, the double crossfield kick that, that saw for Luke Cowan-Dickey and then the, the diagonal game management that he showed to force Joe Marler to throw in. So I think, and I don't mind a a little story of redemption myself either, really. So having a, having been omitted from last year's championship for having uh, two beers, I mean, how the game's changed, eh? He uh, he came back and, and he, I thought he produced the man of the match performance, really. So Finn Russell, Adam, for you, the outstanding player, I'm assuming it might be a Leicester Tigers uh, player, but uh, there were some others in, in the tournament. Yes, I well, it, it's an ex Leicester's player actually, and story of redemption possibly uh, was the phrase you used at the end there. I'd possibly go for the same mine. Maybe I would say Villiers had a better overall performance for France, but I'm going to go for what I thought was a lovely story, which was Ben White who scored the first try for Scotland in that game on Saturday night. He was. 
at one stage the heir to Ben Young's throne at scrum half at Tigers. He joined London Iris, which is a good move for him. Thought he took his try very, very well, having just come on. But at one, as he came on as, as a concussion replacement, I think had he uh, had he not come back on, his uh, stats would have read zero appearances, one try, which would have been a fantastic, uh, a fantastic place in the record books. It was his weekend, I think, and Stuart Hogg passed him the Calcutta Cup and he lifted it, I think, rather than Hogg himself. So it was uh, it was Ben White's weekend. So he's my outstanding player, I think. Hogg, you only gave it to him because he saw Prince's hand coming down to get it back. <laughs> <laughs> he said, it's a, new, it's a new kid. He didn't know what he's doing. 
But yeah, uh, it's, <laughs> uh, yes, that is the real challenge. I'll come to that on a moment. I've, I've spoken to Steve today uh, and it was an archetypal Steve press conference, unfortunately, where it was very little to get, uh, very difficult to get a lot out of him. Yeah, you're right. I, I, uh, I It was always football and cricket for me with my family. We weren't a rugby family. But when I uh, I came up to Radio Leicester, they told me I was doing the Tigers. And I have to say, learning rugby has been the, has been the pleasure of my professional career so far. I absolutely love the game. I love everything about it. I've loved learning about Tigers fully. Um, understanding the game a little bit more too. It's been it's been an absolute joy, and the podcast is a real success. You know what I love about Leicester is that it is such a great sporting city, and the the fans in the area because you've got one big football team, you've got one big rugby team, and the the uh, the people of the area can support both, um, and often do. And so there's a real passion. You know, you walk into the centre of Leicester, you will see a Tigers shirt, you will see a City shirt as well um, when you're walking around. It's an absolutely fantastic place. Hugely passionate fans. I think Tigers fans, along maybe with Gloucester, maybe Bath as well, are, are the fans that get closest in terms of uh, rugby teams to what we might class as that real tribal element. They're hugely knowledgeable. They get them down in huge numbers. You know, 26,000 down at Welford Road is an extraordinary turnout pretty much every week as well. And we followed the downs. I mean, when I started pretty much when they were just about falling into their lowest ebb, they would have been relegated if it wasn't for salary. Uh, sal- uh, I almost called them salary since then. Uh, Saracens, uh, financial indiscretions. You do the headlines uh, as well, do you? <laughs> I'm, wasted, uh, I'm wasted at the BBC, and I should be, it should be more of the tabloid stuff. Um, I, uh, if it wasn't for that, they would have been relegated. And, you know, I think that's been the interesting thing, explaining to my friends, you know, this, is, this wasn't Manchester, let's say, this isn't Manchester United where they are now, 7th, 8th in the table of the Premier League. This is Manchester United 17th, 18th in the Premier League. That was why it was such a huge story. And now we're seeing them rise from the Ashes again it's been it's been a real joy but going back to Steve Morvig actually I remember he is it's very interesting I mean I'd be interested to know what you both think about this really I think he is the favourite to take over from Eddie Jones at the end of the next World Cup if that is indeed when Eddie Jones turns around uh, decides to step down I should say particularly if he's holding a premiership trophy above his head either this June or next June I think he's a dead cert if that's the case considering the job he will have done at Tigers but you're right getting a lot out of him getting him to express um, himself, talk about things beyond. I mean, we always laugh about the fact that he always talks about the next game, that he doesn't particularly open up on a lot of things. He doesn't tell us, for example, if players are injured. Even though we know that they are. Well, exactly. Yes, yeah. so he gets stretched off the field and he won't tell us whether they're injured or not. The media side of things is going to be very interesting. He is better than he was in terms of opening up. But I think he's got to, in my personal view, got to improve on that element of it. In trying to do it, we have a good relationship with Steve, but it's all about, you know, mixing it up, being a little bit firm with Steve when you need to, when he's not answering the questions. I'll be honest, sometimes I downright flirt with him, to be honest, to see if I can get anything out of him. I tell you what, when I when I played against Steve Borthwick, I don't think he ever lost a line-out. And when he was England forwards coach, I don't think England ever lost a line-out. And how much they could have done with him up at Murrayfield, because, you know, most teams have about sort of uh, 30 or 40 line-out calls. But I think Steve had about 200. You know what I mean? He he is just absolutely passionate. I do think he'll be in the mix. I mean, we're not going to talk about who's going to replace Eddie Jones too much. But um, if I was uh, Conor O'Shea, who will be in charge, I'd be uh, I'd be sounding out um, Andy Farrell when, when he uh, finishes the World Cup. And I'll be bringing him back to, uh, to England. I'd also go and grab Sean Edwards, pack his bags for him down in Perpignan and, and bring him back to England because twice he's, they've not offered him that job and he's desperate to coach England at some stage. And why not, you know, the likes of Stuart Lancaster and Steve Borthwick? I, I don't think international rugby is a one-man job anymore. 
if you look at New Zealand, every time they, they look up in the box, you've got Steve Hansen, well, you had him, you had Ian Forster, and then you had Wayne Smith. Now, the rugby IP within that group is, is phenomenal. You don't just appoint one person. And, and just another stat, no, no World Cup's been won by a country coached by someone not from that country. You know, you need to understand the DNA of, of the individuals involved to get the best out of them. So we'll look forward to that. But Eddie Jones is the man in charge for now. Now, listen, we always like to, uh, to do a few different things. And we've got a little competition called Over the Line or In the Bin. We're going to uh, pass you over to, uh, to Will. I'm going to make a statement and you just have to tell me if you think it's true. So Over the Line or if you think it's false, in which case it's in the bin. Over the line or in the bin with Fuller's London Pride, the official beer of Premiership Rugby. The Calcutta Cup is made from 270 melted down silver rupees. Is that over the line or is it in the bin? I'll go to you first, Scotty. Yeah, I think I, I think that's true. I think that's true. It's going to be, it's going to be I've, never, I've never picked it up, but it looks heavy. Lawrence, have you picked it up? Uh, I have picked it up. And yeah, it's the oldest fixture in the international calendar. I, can't, I don't know exactly how old it is. I probably should. But I, I mean, I'm thinking as it's the oldest fixture and, and as England thought that they had some right to, uh, to dominate and overtake the world, I'm assuming it was when they spent time in India and it was made from rupees. So I'll go over the line. Adam, are you going to stick with the uh, party line? Based on the fact that it, it came from the Calcutta Rugby Club and the way that it's all started, I would say that that probably makes about sense. And I would happily take that 270 rupees, probably more than my BBC salary, I'd suggest. Before you give us the answer, I think this is a very insensitive quiz because, right, I got sent off playing for Schlechy against Wasps, right? And Lol scored many tries against me, right? And... <laughs> I got sent off for a high, late tackle on one Lawrence Delalio, right? And generally, the referee, so I, I got there, he had a little kick of the ball, didn't he? He decided, right? They were going, he decided he was going to have a little kick. So he had a little kick. I was charging him down, and my elbows accidentally caught the top of his head, right? And and as he caught the top of his head, and and the ball had landed at this stage, I've got to say, right? And and he fell on the floor, and the referee calls me over, and he shows me the straight red card. And I thought, I cannot believe this. I cannot believe it. I turned around, right? And as Lawrence is on the floor going, oh, right? <laughs> I walk over him, and as I walk over him, he winks at me. <laughs> he, win- he winked at me, right? So that I got, I, I got sent off. So this is a very insensitive quiz. But like, in, in fairness, Lol, you wrote me a lovely letter a couple of weeks later that allowed me to play against uh, South Africa. So exactly. it was very kind of him. Thank you very much. It wasn't supposed to go to the disciplinary officer, but somehow he found it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, well done. I do remember that actually. Thank you. The good news is you are all right, insensitive or not. This is you are correct. Uh, it is over the line. Over the line. And Adam seems to know quite a lot about this, actually. I'm very impressed. When the Calcutta Rugby Football Club was disbanded in 1878, members decided to keep the memory of the club alive by having the remaining 270 silver rupees in their bank account melted down to be made into a trophy. And they gifted it to the RFU. Well, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure that uh, Finley Calder, John Jeffrey, and Dean Richards didn't really appreciate that when they were, boot- <laughs> when they were booting it down Prince's Street after a night out. Um, now, we've just got time to look ahead, really, to... The, uh, the second round, which comes on straight away, you know, back-to-back games in the Six Nations. Scott, Wales back at home in Cardiff. 
against a, a, a kind of a resurgent Scotland. Um, I mean, it's not going to be easy, but they'll be, they'll be delighted that they're back home again. Of course, in front of a, a crowd for the Six Nations, made a huge difference uh, in, in the autumn series. Uh, and I think it'll, be a, it'll, it'll play a huge part. Who's the key player? Who's the key player? I mean, is it Dan Bigger? He's captain this year. Uh, Dan Bigger is absolutely outstanding. He, he's the type of guy that'll come back to Cardiff. He'd be hurting from last week. We need the physicality of Moriarty, I think, you know, from, from the off. Mm. Uh, and you talked about England, you know, who's coming back. I'd love to see him. I'm not, I'm not sure how far away he is, but, you know, Tulupe Falato. Yeah. Uh, we, we just need, we, we need some ball carriers that can, can run a little bit wider, can get over England, that can release us from those uh, from, from those areas. So I wouldn't make that many changes because, you know, I, I th- you've got to believe in the side. If they've gone to Ireland, they've got to back that up. They've got to win this game because they don't want to go to Twickenham. Having lost to Scotland, having lost to Ireland, you know, and then having France at home the following week. Uh, so this is a big, big game for Wales. It's a must game, uh, a win game for Wales. And Scotland will be coming down here, you know, uh, with their tails wagging. They, they, they will, they will love the fact that they come into the the, the Principality Stadium. So for me, come on, Wales win. Good man, good man, uh, Adam. I'm going to come to you with the, with the the kind of tie of round two, really. The, the two favourites for the tournament, both unbeaten after one game. France, pretty impressive given the rain uh, in Paris and Ireland. Probably the the performance of round one. How, how do you see this one going? I think this is possibly too close to call. Certainly on the balance of the way that the two teams are playing. I think we saw from those two the, the most complete performances this weekend. And I think their form has been sustained, both Ireland and France, for the past six months in terms of the quality and consistency of the way that they're playing and the style in which they play as well. I think it's set to be a classic. And the only thing that I think will separate the two teams is the fact that it'll be in the Stade de France, the, the tricolores flying, the uh, that great atmosphere in there. I think that will make all the difference to to be honest, but I think it could be, it will be, it was certainly wouldn't surprise me if, uh, if Ireland go there and win, but I think France just have the edge simply because it's on their own home turf. Well, I'm not going to disagree with you, Will. Um, I'm taking my wife, Mrs. Delalio away for Valentine's weekend. Somehow there happens to be a game of rugby being played in Rome <laughs> this weekend. Um, I'll end up at the stadium and she'll probably end up at Gucci or somewhere like that. So it's going to cost me, it's going to cost me an absolute fortune, you know? I'll not be funny. I I reckon it'll be the other way around. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's a, it's a game that England probably need right now. They'll be hurting. They've got to put their house in order. They'd have done their review and thought 67% possession, a load of territory. How did we not do more with the ball in hand? And it's just the time to reset for England, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's the, the perfect fixture for them after the defeat at Murrayfield. Fans just see the Italy game as they've never lost it, have they? They don't know. They're the only team who don't know how that feels at the moment. I doubt Andy Jones will change too much this week. There might be a couple of guys coming back from injury. He might look to get a bit more clout in that back line. I don't know. Maybe Mark Atkinson, Ollie Hassel Collins would be a possibility as well. I think the game after those two fixtures on Saturday, which are just absolutely mouthwatering, I think. England, Italy might be a little bit after the Lord Mayor's show, but um, that's fine. Eddie Jones won't mind as long as they come back with five points. Right. Well, Scott's gone for a Wales win just. Um, Adam said France, but too tight to call. I'm assuming, uh, what are you, a Bolognese or a Carbonara? What are you going for? <laughs> yeah, I think I think England fans travelling over their, their lovely weekend in Rome will uh, will come back happy. I suspect. I think they may have garlic bread to go with it as well. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go and tell Mrs. Delalio; she'll be delighted. Um, listen, 
that's all for the first episode of uh, Lawrence Delalio's Rugby Podcast. It just remains for me to say an enormous thank you to my guest, Scott Cornell. Scotty, been brilliant. Adam Whitty, good luck with your podcast. I'd be delighted to be your guest with Martin Johnson at some point. And Will, we look forward to seeing you in Rome. Don't forget to like, review and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Lawrence Delalio's Rugby Podcast, supported by Fuller's London Pride, the official beer of Premiership Rugby. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 